Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Stocks for Beginners. Weekend Watchlist. Hi and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners Weekend Watchlist, where we take a close look at an individual company, sector or ETF that you may wish to consider for your watchlist. It's not a recommendation to buy, but a way for you to learn how experts screen for value and opportunities. And joining me today is Annaban Mahanti from Seven Investing. Hello, Annaban. Hello, Phil. How are you? Good. Now, I believe you've got a very interesting, well, you said it was interesting, but boring company, very small company. It's called Taskus and it's an IT outsource company. Tell us about um, Taskus and what kind of company it is and what it does. Yeah, so, I, I, you know, as I was telling you, it's, it's a bit boring because it's an IT outsourcing company. It's not It's not exciting. It's not software, you know, services. It's not electric vehicles. It's not, you know, um, you know, sending rockets to the space or anything. It's just doing boring stuff <laughs> for other companies in, in many ways, stuff that other companies don't want but to does, do. But does it generate revenue? That's not boring. <laughs> that's the thing. That's exactly. So that's why it is, you know, it's interesting at the same, at the same time because it's, it's, growing really quickly it's profitable and it's got you know i would call it class leading margins in its you know if you call it business process outsourcing or it services sector so to give you a quick overview of what they do so they are um they provide you know i'll I'll give some examples so for example if you are uber and you need to sign up drivers right then you need to do you know some checks on those drivers and see all those forms that they you know that you request are filled properly, you know they have a proper driver's license and so this is like knowing uh, knowing the I guess contractor that's being hired right, or if you're a crypto ex- exchange and you have new accounts being opened very quickly you know at at a rapid pace people are just joining and they want to trade crypto now I'm not saying you should do that but people are doing this. Then you want to know your customer, right? So then, you know, for most fintechs, that's important. If you're a fintech and you're serving uh, customers, knowing your customers is a, is a government regulation or a requirement in most jurisdictions. So these are things that the fintech company might not want to do because it's not really, you know, not they're a tech, fintech company is basically a tech company and their focus is on tech. So they would like to outsource these sort of things. Or, um, or you think about customer support, right? So, so you know, if you want to provide digital customer support, how do you, you know, sometimes you need to talk to a real person. How does that happen? If you're talking to a chat board, the chat board then transfers it over to a real person. How do you manage that sort of transaction? Um, if you're Facebook, which is actually this company's largest client, then you have, uh, you know, what's known as content security, which is, you know, is this a fake um, posting? Is this spreading rumors? Is it, you know, causing harm? Those actually need to be manually reviewed, right? So th- there's there's automation that you can do. And then after automation, maybe things are flagged by automation. You need then some reviews for those things to happen. So it's, you know, task us basically facilitates all those things. I'll give one more example. So the company runs three segments. One is uh, digital experience, which is really providing um, support and uh, to digital companies, right, of various forms, whether it is you know in person support or supporting you know your customers and things like that. So that that is that it does for fintechs, Uber, and so many others. So all these are 
clients of actually um, of this company. Then you have um, what is known as content security, which is really helping social media manage the content that gets posted, right? So they actually serve all the top social media or most of the top social media companies. Uh, and as I mentioned, Facebook is their largest client. Then they have an operation called AI services, which looks at, you know, things like if you're an um, autonomous driving company, you're collecting all this data, that data needs labeling. Uh, some of that data labeling can happen auto- autonomously or, or via algorithms. In some cases, you need manual intervention or you need at least people to supervise and check what's going on. So again, those sort of things um, you know, as an example, is what they provide um, uh, under AI um, operations. I hate using cliches, but this sounds like what they'd call a picks and shovels company. Would that be a, a, a valid description? There's a very, very valid description. You know, you just stole my words. Uh, I was looking for those words. Yes, it is picks and, picks and shovels. It's a picks and shovels with, I will put a caveat on it. It's a picks and shovels for tech. Really, all their customers are high tech. So, um, you know, whether it's Facebook or Netflix or, you know, people like, you know, DoorDash, they are their customers, right? So it's picks and shovels for the tech companies. So if you assume the tech companies that are going to keep growing, then the, the picks and shovels for the tech companies as a whole sector should also grow and this company should benefit. So yes, brilliant. I love it, Phil. And uh, the other thing about it is, do, are these solutions that uh, they're providing, are these bespoke solutions for every single case or when you describe those three major areas before, are they kind of like general solutions that can be tailor-made for um, each of their customers? So um, that's a good question. I don't have a good answer for it in the sense that the way the company works is that they get asked to do a specific task. That's how they enter a relationship with a company. And then over time, that relationship expands to doing other things. Um, so it is bespoke in the sense that it's, it is tailored for individual companies' needs. Um, but um, they have underlying tools and technology that they use to sort of automate their processes and to make things as seamless as possible. Of course, this being an IT outsourcing company, right? The, most of their staff is actually the largest amount of staff is in the Philippines, followed by India. Um, they have staff in the United States as well. So I would guess that the staff in the United States is doing some more heavy lifting stuff, maybe more. Uh, you know, sort of the cutting edge of machine learning, for example, whereas the staff elsewhere might be doing more manual work, right? Because it's, you know, the labor would be cheaper. So it, it is bespoke in, to that extent, um, but there's some, you know, some underlying tech and, you know, stuff that they're using. But it is ID services, you know, or you can even call it business process outsourcing to some of those things, right? So, yes. Yep. And it's a, a very small company. The, the capitalization is very small. Uh, run us through some of the numbers, please. Yeah, so the market capitalization, actually the stock has dropped a fair bit from, uh, you know, maybe in the last six months. It was um, a subject of a short attack, uh, saying that, you know, this company is not going to grow and some of these numbers are made up, they're related party transactions. I think, you know, a lot of those things are... Um, I, I don't. I don't see much merit in in the short attack. Um, the the company is growing quickly. Now, one of the things. So this is this is you know this is where the caveats come into play, right? So revenue, for example, this uh, last quarter and the fourth quarter grew about sixty three percent to about two hundred million dollars, two hundred twenty six million, two hundred twenty seven million, um, and its EBITDA margin was about twenty four point seven percent, which is really class. Uh, you know, uh, class leading in if you think about the BPO and the IT services sector. Um, revenue retention rate, which is basically how much re- revenue they're extracting from clients that they're retaining, was 141%, which means they're growing um, 
the the sales to the clients that they keep, right? Which is all great. Now, that, the reason I'm saying there's a caveat to this is, you know, like Facebook is the largest client that accounts for about 25% of the revenues in uh, Q4. And the Facebook has basically come back and asked them that, you know, you need, they're probably asking them to do some optimization in the spend. So it looks like the majority of the Facebook spend was in the United States, therefore higher revenue. Facebook wants to get more bang for its buck, or Meta, I should say. So they're basically out asking them to move some of those to, or majority of those to Philippines and India. And in return, because they're paying them, so they probably don't want the revenue to go backwards, they want more work to be done by these guys. So they're giving them more work, which probably is going to be done in other remote locations. So what happens is revenue growth can slow down, but margins can still go up because one would assume, or at least what management thinks or says, that margins are higher. Uh, overseas than they are uh, locally, uh, locally in the United States for them, right? So um, the company is growing quickly. It's projecting 50% growth in the first quarter, but projecting for the full year of 2022, about 30% growth in the uh, in in the midpoint. And even that is pretty solid. It's profitable, uh, cash generative company. And the reason I think there's that drop is they are moving that Facebook client over Q2, Q3, and Q4 to Philippines and India or other, you know, lower cost uh, regimes. But, you know, that, that's something to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, it's a profitable company uh, at a good price. Listeners know that I'm always banging on about diversification, and that doesn't mean buying different stocks. Diversification means being invested in a range of asset classes like bonds, real estate, precious metals, and now wine. Wine is an asset class that's been around for hundreds of years, but until now, only available to the mega wealthy. VinoVest makes it easy to invest in wine. They have a team of world-class sommeliers who evaluate wine and determine which ones will gain value over time. You own the wines in your portfolio outright. You can buy, sell and even drink them whenever you want. There's a case of wine in a warehouse with your name on it. Wine has a third of the volatility of the stock market and has outperformed global equities over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualised returns, proving that the returns can be as full-bodied as your favourite Napa cab. Go to zen.ai slash stocksforbeginners to receive two months of fee-free investing. Be sure to mention that Stocks for Beginners is helping you save on two months of management fees. It's time to start investing with VinoVest today. That's zen.ai slash Stocks for beginners. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. You mentioned the short attack. That's an interesting... Do you mind if we just dwell on that just for a moment? What is a short attack? I mean, from, from my limited knowledge, it's like an analyst comes out and identifies a whole bunch of problems with a company and then starts to short sell it, which means they're going to make money as the price goes down. Um, just give us your overview of what a short attack is and what this specific case was. Yes. So a short attack, really, I mean, you described it already, but you know, I'd, I'd pivot it a little bit. So a short attack would be uh, if I am a fund um, or a hedge fund or a, you know, private, a private fund or you know, uh, whatever, a big investor, 
I don't like a company. Well, I've done my research. I don't like a company. So first I sell short, which basically means I borrow stock on the market and I sell it. Now, you, I took stock from someone else for which I'll pay small interest because I'm borrowing. And I sell it in the market. And then I release my report. They will never release a report beforehand, right? So they will never tell everyone that, oh, this company has got problems. Don't buy it. It's rather, you know, we have sold short the stock. I borrowed somebody's stock. I've sold it in the market. Release the report. Want the price to go down. And then when the price goes down, they can buy the stock for lower price in the market and then give it back to the person that they borrowed it from or the persons or the people. Most of the time what they're using is brokerages. Brokerages basically would lend your stock to somebody else to sell. But the brokerages would then demand that the stock be returned back to them if they ask for it, right? And when, and when they demand, base, demand basically means buying it back in the market. So that's what it is. I mean, it's a practice I'm not a good big fan of because, you know, if you think, if you look at the modality, the modality really is, the report is released. I don't have a problem with the criticism of a stock being released, but it is often always released, <laughs> 99.99% of the time, released after the fact, after they have shorted the stock, which means they already have a vested interest, right? Now, one could, of course, go back and say, well, you know, it's the same thing for people to say, you know, I own the stock and it's great, right? Or this stock is great. Well, later on, you find out they own it. It's a similar dynamic. But we yeah, also and know, they pump it. And yeah. they pump it. But one of the things that you know, human psychology comes into play, right, is stock shouldn't drop so much you know, 30%, 40% on a short attack, but it does. Stock does not go up 30% because I tell you I own it, <laughs> right? And, and the reason behind that is fear drives people's behavior more than, oh, you know, the, the potential of loss is always felt much more strongly than the potential of gain. So the stock might go up 5% on some big investor, you know, if, if Warren Buffett comes out and said, I own some company, if, you know, it might go up 5%, right? At least on that news, a maximum, might, might even do nothing. They might think, oh, Warren Buffett is a done investor, so we don't care, maybe it should go down, right? <laughs> as an example, I'm not saying that that's it, but I'm just using that as an example. But if, if Warren Buffett says I'm short on some company, I bet that stock is going to collapse 40%. So that's, I think, the, the part I don't agree with, with shorting. But anyways, right, it's yeah. happening. The short interest is not that high. So it looks like, at least I recently checked, uh, and if the data is correct, short interest is the percentage of shares that are held short of the total float. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So that's not that high, which suggests to me that it has, might have been short covered which basically means they bought it back. And this is a basically an opportunity to talk about the risks of the company. And um, did this short attack identify um, solid risks or are there other risks that you see as well? Well, I don't think so. So they, uh, they had a number of things that they pointed out, uh, which, you know, uh, they pointed out some characterization of the CEO's education, which looked like, you know, there's a mismatch between what's said on the IR website and what's said on LinkedIn. I don't really care for those things that much, largely because, I mean, does a person have a Really? That's, that, that, they sound like um, spurious accusations, really, yeah, don't it's they? It's a little bit spurious, Yeah. I mean, the, the thing to yeah. note, though, it's, a, it's IT outsourcing, right? So it's outsourcing. Somebody else can take your, mm -hmm. you know, uh, lunch and breakfast and run with it. In many ways, there's no moat as such, right? And that's a valid acquisition. Mm -hmm. At the same time, but it's not really an acquisition. It's a fact of that business. But at the same time, you look at the clientele and the fact that clients are spending more money with you than that then there is something to it. The other thing is that all the growth of this company has, has had is organic, right? Um, which is pretty solid for an area like this. And so I don't think that, you know, I thought they were, they were pretty weak 
in terms of like the short attack was weak in terms of what it does. But again, there are certain patterns that people look at. So this has got a small float, which means the percentage of shares available to general public is small, largely because it's a recent IPO. Blackstone owns a chunk of the company because they bought a private stake in it you know, three years ago. Um, and that infusion actually helped them grow. And then the founders own close to 25% of the company, the two founders. So that's, again, very rare in the in the American market for the founders to own that big a stake in a business, right? I mean, they've got their wealth tied up and they've got their reputation tied up with this business. So uh, I, I, I still like it. I think it's great. I personally own the stock. Um, I think the price is great. It's only about 25, 27 times earnings, maybe uh, 26 times earnings for earnings that grew, you know, a lot, you <laughs> know, uh, last year. And it's probably, you know, even if the revenue grows 30%, the earnings can actually grow at a much faster pace, largely because of leverage, offering leverage in the business. Um, you know, it's got so yeah, I like it, and I like it for those reasons. And what's the um, what's the code? And uh, it's listed on the Nasdaq, I believe. It's listed on Nasdaq. The code is Task T A S K. That's great. Anything else you wanted to add just before we um, wrap it up? No, just I mean, you know, I would just say that you know, put it on your watch list. Be mindful. It's a small company. It's higher risk. It's IT outsourcing. Um, mindful of concentration risk, right? So they've got a few. The top ten accounts for a huge chunk of their revenue, um, and if everyone starts doing what uh, Facebook has asked for, then it might be a bit of a trouble, right? Um, yeah, those are th- obvious risks to think about. At the same time, you could say that if you've got high quality clients uh, using your services, that says something about your services and what you offer to the clients. And it's important to think about if you are um, thinking about um, uh, the risk of investing in a small company at this end of the market, that um, allocation, the capital allocation, the amount of your portfolio that you allocate should always be absolutely tiny percentage wise. Yes, you're right about that. So, I mean, I didn't want to specifically talk about allocation because that, you know, what, you know, like... Yeah, we're not we, recommending. We're not, not recommending, recommending to buy. So, whether it's one... We're just saying, something to think about. Something to think about. But you're absolutely right. You know, personally, I own it, as I said, but it's not a, it's not even in my top 15. Uh, largely because, again, for all those reasons, right? It's a small company. If it is a multi-bagger, uh, if it goes up 10x, <laughs> then it will become a big portion. This is one of the things that I try to keep tell, uh, telling people. If you buy a small company, the whole reason you're buying it is that you think it's going to become big, then you should only need a small position because the small positions should grow into a large position over time. And remember, you can always add on execution. And as the company, you know, becomes de-risks itself, yes, you're buying at a higher price, but you're de-risking yourself as well. And that's the smart thing to do. And um, yes, I absolutely agree with you. Think about allocation if you are, you know, considering, yeah, but put it on your watch list. Just, you know, it's, you know, you call it watch list for a reason. And I think it's a good company to have on your watch list. That's right. Just have a look at it and see how... (laughs) Learn from learn from uh, watching. Yes, learn from watching. Annabelle Mahanti, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. And don't forget, if you want to hear these and other great tips from 7investing, go to 7investing.com and use the promo code STOCKSFORBEGINNERS for a $10 discount on one of their plans. That's STOCKSFORBEGINNERS, all lowercase, and one word. Here's a cool fact. 
A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 